0: Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Find the book of Galatians. It's over in the New Testament, and it's a letter that uh, Paul writes to a church. And this church in today's teaching is in the middle of an argument about some of the silliest stuff ever. And I've been, uh, I've been working out at the gym. I go to BodyPlex down here. I love that place. Everybody's so nice to me. But they have this machine there called Jacob's Ladder. And the trainer dude that I work with puts me on this thing, right? It is Satan's tool. When you die without Jesus, you have to do this, okay? And, and so he puts me on that thing. And literally, I mean, I got sweat pouring out of me. It's like my spleen has left me. I mean, I, I, it's, it's awful. I mean, people around me think I'm dying. I am gasping for air, like after 20 seconds. It seems awful, <laughs> right? I mean, people like me should not be on things like that. And, and yet my trainer says every time, come on, it's just one more step. No, it's one more step toward death. But you know what really frustrates me about it? after all that effort, I didn't go anywhere. I mean, it's like, it's like walking on a treadmill. I mean, from, I'd rather have an injection of chlorine than walk on a treadmill. Like, now, I see Bobby do it up at BodyPlex, and, and Bobby's so spiritual. I mean, he's like, he's listening to C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and he didn't have any sweat dropping off of him. And it hit me the other day why that's the case. He's roughly the size of my right thigh, I mean, come on, really? I mean, people at the gym just at me with this sense of, oh, dear God, these dying. <laughs> but don't you hate it when you work so hard and you get nowhere, you get nothing from it? Don't you hate that? I mean, don't you hate that you're at a place where it just doesn't work? I, I love this church, and I want to invite you to watch a short video about one of my favorite people in this church guys if you could cue that video up and i'd love for you to see the story of my friend tracy bernard
1: hi my name is tracy bernard i have been a member here at sugar hill church for about five years in the beginning of those five years i was a stay-at-home mom raising three beautiful girls um since then things have changed and i'm a single mom and working full-time with even more beautiful girls now that i get on my own. Um, I found myself in situations where I really wasn't sure how to probably make it through the day, and this church has been here for me in so many ways. Um, when Chuck says, and you'll hear him say it a lot, welcome home, this this is my home, and it's like a hug. And My girls laugh at me because I come in 30 minutes early just to sit in my chair, <laughs> just so people can come by and I can say hello. and feel at home and I leave knowing I can make it through the week and knowing I do have hope and that I will be okay. Um, I love this church and I love the people here and there's nowhere else I'd rather be and very appreciative to the people that have reached out to me and that are always there for me. I love my church.
0: Tracy during that. so I do love this church, but I love this church for so many reasons. Maybe the primary one is this, the ability to say that what matters most here is not religion or playing religion or acting religious. As a matter of fact, uh, at 55 now, I've grown to detest religion and everything it does to us. Somehow I believe. Our effort to be religious or to be good or to be uh, accepted by some other human because of how we worship or what we worship or what's important to us, I believe somehow it plays on our insecurities and it kind of lures us into this belief system that that we can make up for our past failures by changing our behaviors and doing good things. I, I grew up in a home where it was all about rules. Some of you heard me tell the story before that my dad was pretty sure that if you loved Jesus, you could never play cards. I could listen to Leonard Skinner and go to dances, but I couldn't play cards. Does that make any sense at all? But we had rules, right? I mean, dad's rules were this, you could drink this, you couldn't drink that, you could do this, you couldn't do that, and after a while, I, I felt like I was on that Jacob's ladder, I'm I, I spent most of my life trying to climb up a ladder of religion to be good so that somebody would accept me and look at me and say, now that's what a Christian looks like. That's what somebody looks like that loves Jesus. And some of you have been on that ladder with me. Some of you have been on that treadmill where it's all about somebody else's approval and somebody else's acceptance in our world. You know, I, all of us have Christmas wish lists, don't we? I mean, especially when you're a kid. When I was a kid, man, it was like from here to Christmas was eight months. You know, I mean, you just, you're just you dying. I mean, you, you know what you want, and you've checked your list, and you've sent your letter, and, man, you just can't wait till Christmas morning. And at the end of the day, I think we all come to this issue where, wait a minute, the problem is the more we run, the more exhausted we become. The more we try to act Christianly, the more we try to gain approval, the more we try to become religious, we exhaust ourselves. And you know what happens to people that are exhausted? they don't make good decisions. They don't think clearly. They forget who loves them most. And before long, we get so exhausted, we actually give up on God because we think this is how I'm going to please God. I'm going to try hard, and I'm going to do good things, and I'm going to run as fast as I can. This time of year, you know what I've noticed about most of the families in this room? You're like mine. I'm at that point in this season of Christmas where I'm saying, I can't wait till the 26th. I, we, one more person needs one more thing for me, one more party we got to go to, one more thing we got to plan. I mean, don't you just get to a point where you just, how could we just do away with some of this and focus on what matters most? Yeah, we don't, do we? I mean, we go 190 miles an hour on a treadmill and never land anywhere. We're just going as hard as we can. And when we get that frustrated because we've run that hard, we give up on God, we give up on his church, and we give up on his people. And before long, we take on this martyr complex that says, well, I tried it your way, God. I tried hard. I worked hard. I did all the right things. I gave. I went to Bible study. I I signed up for a mission. Listen, I I was one of the 1,100 people that downloaded the app, for goodness sake. I'm reading the devotions. Give me a break, God. God. And Paul addresses this issue, but here's what happens. In all of our wish lists and all that we're attempting to do, I believe we're trying to achieve four words. I believe we're trying to achieve attention and appreciation. I think we're trying to find acceptance, and we're trying to earn affection. When we were little boys and little girls, all of the cars and toys and baby dolls and everything your kids get, all of them, in essence, are trying to convey these four words, attention, attention. I want attention. Pay attention to me. I'm important. Acceptance. I want you to accept me as I am. And somehow, some way, in our westernized way of doing church, we looked at this and thought, I've got to work my tail off to make God accept me and approve me and affirm me. And I'm killing myself. Chuck, and why isn't it working? Because that wasn't God's plan. A.W. Tozer once said, look at this quote. This is so good. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Just leave that up for a few minutes. Guys, you may want to take out your smartphone and take a picture of that one. That's tweetable. I mean, seriously, when Tozer says, this is what matters to us, whatever comes into our minds when we think about God, oftentimes what happened is whatever our past is, we have reflected our past onto the face of God. So if your dad was one of those dads that left you, you know what you're considering? God's going to leave me too, and I can never earn his trust enough. I can't do it. If you were in one of those homes where God where your dad or your mom smothered you and you never got to have any freedom because rules locked you down, then you see God as a heavenly police officer with a radar gun ready to bust you for going 58 and a 45. And if you grew up in one of those homes where it was, you just really, you could never do enough, you know what you're thinking? God, I'm killing myself. I want you to be able to do something with my past, but I can't escape it. And I see you, God, as however my past has defined me. And therefore, we wake up, and in our DNA is this overwhelming desire to go work harder, to do more, to please more people. I want, to, I want to make sure you hear me clear because this is, this is a big deal. So, church, if you already checked out, on me come back for just a minute. All right? Listen, any time a pastor, a teacher, a leader, any time they add man-made rules on top of what Jesus said mattered most, trying to conform to those rules is as sinful as not obeying Christ because it's extra-biblical. What did they say? Jesus, what's the thing that matters most? And what did he say? Love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Oh, and by the way, love people. How? As you love yourself. Listen to me. Some of us. We see ourselves through the rearview mirror, and we are reflecting that's how God must see us because we've had horrible relationships, or we've gone through a terrible bankruptcy, or we've lost our job, or our parents abused us, or I was somewhere and I was cruel, I was bullied, everything. And then God comes along and says, but I love you. I need you to stop climbing the ladder. Stop trying so hard. We come to a fork in the road in our life where we have two paths in which we should take. Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in life, take it. And that's what we have to do. We've got these two, and we've got to decide which way to go. Bring that last slide back up, guys. Path one is the path of pleasing God, where constantly I'm working on my sin so that I can try to achieve God's affection, so that I can have the perfect relationship with God, so i got to work hard. I gotta I gotta dress like a Christian and I gotta walk like a Christian. I gotta drink like a Christian. I gotta comb my hair like a Christian. I gotta talk like a Christian. I gotta make you like me because Christians are supposed to like each other. And we go through all of this mumbo jumbo thinking that somebody painted a picture for us of how we're supposed to look if you love Jesus. When I saw Trip baptize Samir at the 930 service, here's a little girl that was working at Courtyard by Marriott. He was staying there through the transition. Got into a relationship by inviting her just to come here. Over the course of a few weeks, she hears the gospel where Jesus said, it's not about what you do, it's simply about what I've done. And she get prayed and gave her life to Christ. She said, I want to trust you, and I'm ready to stop trying. And she did that because in every world religion, they say, you've got to do something. You've got to earn it. You've got to do this. You've got to knock on so many doors. You've got to count so many beads. You've got to pray this way. And then all of a sudden, God comes along and says, no, whoa, whoa. There's an easier way for that. Stop trying so hard and start trusting, which brings us to the second fork, where instead of trying to please God, we're trying to trust God, which inevitably pleases him. Then why do we take the hard route? Why why do why do we work so hard to try and gain God's affection and God's attention? Why do we do that? Because we have mirrored onto God what others think of us. When Jesus says this is about you and me, think about it. Anytime that we're striving in our own strength and our own power to gain something, God must shake his head and say, why do you always pick the hard way Why can't you just trust me? Because about the time we just trust Christ alone, all the church folk get mad because now you act like Jesus who hung out with weird people. And then we get messed up. So I look at this text today in the book of Galatians and I think to myself, wait a minute, we find ourselves trying to fix a life equation. This is equation that we've got to try to wrestle to the ground. And, and if, if you're like most of us, we need the equation to balance out. It looks something like this. It says, here's what I need to do. I need to make more right behaviors and less wrong behaviors, and that will equal God giving me attention, appreciation, acceptance, and effect- affection. So if I just if I correct me... If I fix me, if I work on me, if I act like somebody who I think looks like a Christian, if I act like somebody who I really trust who who is a Christian, and if I'll act less like I have acted, then God will give me more attention, more appreciation, more acceptance, more affection. Here's the problem with that equation. It doesn't work. Jesus came along and said, wait a minute, stop. All you've got to do is try and trust me. Stop trying everything on your own. And you see, I, I get it. We all want to try and prove that we're a good person. Here's the problem. Scripture tells us, are you ready for this? None of us are good. But doesn't that stink? I mean, seriously, you look in the mirror. Don't you want to know, man? I'm good. I am so good. Look at what I did, man. I, I fed kids. I, I I took in orphans. I went to church. I I downloaded the app. I'm good. I gave today. that equation just ends up going nowhere. Literally it bankrupts us and our efforting and before you know it what happens is we literally have struck out in attempting to find this peace with God. Because we've tried so hard to act like somebody told us we were supposed to act. Paul tackles this issue back in Galatians in chapter 2. And in the book of Galatians he writes this letter to a church beginning in verse 15 and here's what he says. He says you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles? And then this word "yet." I mean, you could probably insert "but," but he says, "Yet, we know that a person is made right by God, with God, by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right by God by obeying the law. Listen, here's what I want to make sure you get contextually in this. Paul goes on in the next few verses, especially in verses 17 and 18, and says, stop trying to live your life by man-made rules. So he's speaking in context to people who for hundreds of years have had hundreds of laws that if you don't follow them, then you're not in a right relationship with God. And if that were still true, we are so toast. Because I don't know about you, but man, I have made some horrendous decisions this week. I have said some awful things this week. I have done things that you shouldn't know about this week. You know why? Because this heart's not good, and neither is yours. And Paul says, listen, you can't work hard enough. You can't be good enough. The only way you get in a right relationship with God is through his son and having a relationship with him. This is why religion kills us. Religion says, I need you to act like those people. Jesus comes along and says, I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to trust me. They say, well, why don't we take the easy way? Well, because we, we tend to like to please other people more than we do Christ. Because other people, we feel them pat us on the back and tell us how good we are. Listen to what Paul said about that down in, verse, down in chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. Now, the the church is in an argument over whether or not somebody is a true believer or not a true believer based on whether they've been circumcised or not. Okay? Now, you're sitting here today and you say, okay, number one, Chuck, that's gross. Number two, what would it matter? Well, let me ask you this. If you put it in the context that it was written and you put it in the context of today, here's what we do. Those people are arguing about whether we sing with a, hymn or chorus. They're arguing about whether we use projectors or book. They're arguing about whether we wear a suit or blue jeans. They're arguing about whether we have pews or chairs. They're arguing about whether Christians drink or don't drink. They're arguing about whether you bought a lottery ticket or you didn't. They're arguing about all these things. Listen to me. They are arguing just like we did. It was just their issue. We just changed the issue with the same argument. And Paul says to them, listen, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, those who are trying to tell you to do anything other than what Jesus said, they just want to look good to other people. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. He goes on and he says, and even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. In other words, he says, the harder you try, the bigger hypocrite you are. Okay, let me stop and say to you, if you stopped coming to church for some period of time because the hypocrites are in the church, you should never come back to church. Because if I asked you to stand up and look around the room and identify the hypocrite, they're everywhere, starting with right here. To try to follow the law, to try to follow somebody's rules is setting you up for failure. And Jesus came along and said, I want you to succeed Wildly. So Paul goes on and says, they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. And then listen to this. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Literally what he's saying is this. When you stop trying in your own power and putting on your church face and your good face, and then you just try trusting Christ who came freely to give you hope in the presence of Christmas and grow up and give his life on an old wooden cross and shed his blood and then be buried in a borrowed tomb and walk out of that tomb and raised from the dead so that you might have life more abundantly today and life eternally in heaven. When he says, you just trust that, you're good. We don't know what to do with it because we'd rather argue about stupid stuff. And Paul's saying, stop it. Listen, hope came in the form of Jesus to free us from having to be man-made rule followers and choose to trust a God who came to rescue us and redeem us from being trapped on the treadmill of trying to be good. And in the middle of all that, Scripture teaches this one thing, and Paul writes it again in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. You know what he says? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So all your efforting, All your sweat, all your toil, all your fake faces, all we try to do to impress other people, you're just on Jacob's ladder and on a treadmill, and God's looking and saying, what are you doing? I mean, here's what it boils down to. Every other world religion is about what you do. And then Jesus comes along and said, it isn't what you do, it's what I've done. Because Jesus came that you might have life in abundance. But you just simply trust him. You just trust him. Stop trying to be religious. It's killing us. I think the number one reason why people don't go to church is that they know the people who go to church. What if we just stop trying? What if we just be normal folks that happen to love Jesus? Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? That says this is what really matters? This is the only thing that matters? I mean, it's kind of like going to a place like the Grand Canyon, and you, you stand there on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and, and, and across the other side you can see God. There he is. There's God in his perfection and his holiness and his righteousness. And here you are on this side of the canyon, and you look over there and say, God, I can't get to you. Because here we are on our side full of sin and selfishness and we've just had a mess of our life, we've been on the treadmill so long and God wants us desperately to be on his side but the canyon represents our sin and our selfishness and our pride and all of the trying to be religious and all of that is the canyon but we want to get across so God looks at each of us, he looks at you and he says but I love you, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son I'm going to bring you hope on Christmas Day. But listen to me. He didn't stay like Ricky Bobby thought as the little baby Jesus. He lived a sinless, perfect, miraculous life. Willingly got up on a cross and shed his blood to pay for all our sin and all our selfishness, all of our pride and all of our foolishness. For every bad decision that is yet to be made and has been hope spread his arms out and shed his blood on a cross that we get to walk across to be in the right relationship and on the right side with God. And the harder we try in our own power, we take a running leap across the canyon and just flame out and die. And he says, if you'll just stop trying and start trusting, just walk across Jesus. And there's no miracle miracle pill, there's no miraculous prayer. It just sounds a lot like what the Scripture says. Lord, I need you. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. Maybe today is your time to say, I want to go from my side of the canyon to God's side of the canyon. Today's my day to stop trying and start trusting. Today's my day to choose hope today. This is my day. I'm going to walk across in the power and the presence of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to say to you, my friend, it is your day. Hope has come. Christmas has arrived. In a manger was a baby who as a man spread his arms out wide and shed his blood and died pay the price for all of our silliness, all of our selfishness all of our sin they placed what once was a baby that started hope into a borrowed tomb and three days later hope arose and shook off burial cloths and pushed a stone out of the way and weeks later ascended to heaven to sit beside God the Father welcome all those who would choose to walk across that canyon and trust the lord jesus well chuck i want that been as simple as this lord i'm calling on your name thank you for dying for me thank you for raising from the dead for me thank you for paying the price for all my sin today i stop trying and i start trusting